The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. 60 seconds after you die. Can you imagine the other side, the unknown? Heaven is real. So is hell. Imagine heaven. It's better than that. To be made new, forever changed, transformed, and ushered into His presence. The holy city of God. Finally knowing what it's like. What is life and light of eternity? Your soul will never die. So what awaits after all of this life? That is eternity. I really don't have a scripture for you to turn to this morning. For the last six weeks, we've been exploring uh, the subject of eternity and what awaits after death. And uh, it's one thing to talk about the death of adults, but it's another thing to talk about the death of children. And surely one of the most uh, heartbreaking events uh, is the loss of a child uh, to go through that experience. Uh, and when that happens, we're faced with questions. What about the children? And uh, where do they go if they go to heaven uh, when they're not old enough to make decisions for themselves? Uh, what about the mentally disabled? Uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? Those that are incapable of making those kind of decisions. Uh, what happens to them? So this message is for... Uh, all of us here, but especially those who have lost a baby, for those of you that's been called upon to maybe provide uh, encouragement for someone who's lost a child, uh, if someone was to ask you, is my baby in heaven, how would you respond? If you haven't faced that question, you may at some point. And I guess for most of us, we would probably answer, well, they're in heaven, but do we have the uh, knowledge or the ability to give scriptural justification for why we believe that. <clears throat> and this morning, that's what I want us to do, is really think about that. And uh, John MacArthur, in his book called Safe in the Arms of Jesus, he discusses some of the responses given to a couple that had lost a baby. These responses will kind of make your skin crawl. But these are actual responses, and he's a writer and an, uh, a, a pastor and uh, some of the, the callous things uh, that has said. First, he points out that very few of their friends and neighbors, as he's counseling with these who have lost one, loved ones or ch children, babies, ever mentioned uh, the fact of, of the child to the couple. In other words, they never speak their name. They never mention the birth of the child. They just kind of pass over that. Uh, which is bad in itself because most people need reassurance that this child mattered and this, uh, this child had a place. So <clears throat> that first thought as he canceled, he said they, parents said they noticed that, uh, even to the point of after a child was born and maybe a few years old, that uh, their friends was just refused to even mention their name, the name of the child. And I know part of that is for us, and we're uncomfortable with that sometimes, but uh, one of the... Uh, one of the parents said, you know, just by not mentioning it doesn't mean that, that we forgot about the, the loss of our child. So as they go through that, that part, uh, he, he encourages, says, if you uh, bring to 
uh, to reminders of the child or the child's name and maybe the parent starts to cry or something, don't be uncomfortable, but hurt with them as he encourages through this book. The wife of one couple said that uh, uh, folk, uh, folks came to visit her after the loss of her child. And here's some of the responses I made. Well, it was for the best, dear. The best thing you can do is just to forget it. The no, another one said this, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Another one said this, uh, it's too bad that you let the baby get so cold. And the mother said, up to that point, I'd never even considered the, point, the, the, the idea that it may be my fault somehow. Now, I'm, I can't imagine who would say that, but these are actual statements from, from mothers. One, one young mother said the, the worst thing that she heard was not said to her, but to her husband. And she overheard someone saying to her husband, God must have not wanted your wife to have a daughter. What, what a callous thing to say as people tried there and, and were there to comfort. He says, this young couple, family, friends, and church ought to have comforted them with words, with answers from the Bible rather than questions about why God allowed this to happen or allowed this child to die, and whether they were in some way part of the blame. So in his study, and that, uh, I said that's a book called Safe in the Arms of God, Truth from Heaven about the death of a child. In that study, as he interviewed different mothers, these are some of the things that were said. So let me give a little advice to those of you that are called to minister or uh, to the grieving. Weigh your words carefully. Uh, you know, it's as much as just being in the presence and being there from someone, but uh, some of the things that I want to uh, say today apply to those that are grieving. And, and as we think about the loss of a child or those who are grieving or, or the loss of a loved one, just because something's true doesn't mean it has to be said. Isn't that true? I mean, just because something is... We can look at the Bible and say, well, this is really true, uh, like, like something like, well, this is all part of God's plan, or God can really use this uh, as a testimony to reach others, or, or something along the lines as, uh, it must have been God's will that this happened. Well, those things may all be true statements, but do they need to be said? I mean, do, do, they, do, do, we, need to, do, do we need to put that out before someone? And I'm going to get to my message in just a moment, but think about Jesus' death. It was, it was horrific. It was, it was terrifying. It was unimaginably painful, the death of Jesus. And it was not okay. It was not a wonderful thing. Now, his resurrection was. That's a whole different story. But when you think about Jesus' death, it was a terrible death. So we can't even look at Jesus' death, even though it was God's will and God's plan, and say, boy, Jesus' death was just wonderful. It was a terrible thing. But the results of that, what came after that, were wonderful things. That was the resurrection, the, the life ever after, death being uh, done away with. And, and so I just want you to understand, sometimes we need to weigh our words carefully. And even though we understand the truth and know the truth, it's not always advisable just to say, well, this is what it says, because what, what does that come across as? Just cold and callous, doesn't it? Well, it must have been God's will. And just moving on. So, so remember that. Pastor John Hamby, I, I really like him. And he's, he's, uh, 
Uh, he's an author, and he writes sermons, and I use a lot of his stuff. And, and he said on, on a, uh, this subject, he had just lost a, a grandchild, and I want to I read you his statement. He said, since this tragedy at our, at our family had just experienced, or a tragedy our family had just experienced with the death of little Aubrey, our first grandchild, I asked my daughter Nikki to read what I had written and give me her input, which she graciously did. And she wrote of this experience when she said, Aubrey's death was horrible, and nothing will change that. Anything good that comes from this will be a separate miracle by the grace of God. Now, that's that's a profound statement. She said it was horrible, and it was nothing good, and anything from that that's good is a different miracle, a part of the grace of God. Any comfort I can give another grieving mother or any encouragement I can be is still a miracle apart from her death. It doesn't lessen it in any way, shape, or form. And I need to be reminded of that. It's resounded within my heart. I will never look back on this and say it was good. I'll never be able to say that I would have chosen it to go this way. I will never agree with this part of the plan. But maybe someday I will be able to see the separate miracles, the graces along the way that are good. I will grieve, I'll go through the pain, and I'll not go around it. I'll not pretend like it didn't hurt. I will endure the pain and let God do this thing in me, whatever this thing is. And maybe... Just maybe I'll come through this time looking a little more like Jesus. I think those are are great words from a mother who had experienced the loss of a baby. So this morning, uh, there's no central Bible passage that clearly teaches uh, or addresses this subject. And it's a sensitive subject, and I understand that. And I hope you're not here this morning saying, well, I wish I'd have missed this one today. Because we are still talking about eternity. And part of what we've talked about all through this series is, is what awaits eternity. And, and from the very beginning, we, we, we understood it's going to come to a point that we're going to talk about the children. And this morning, uh, I want us to share three statements. And I want to give you three statements or principles that I believe will answer the question, is my baby in heaven? And the first is this, we see the concern of the father. And I'll give you some scriptures here as we go. The first one we're going to be at is in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to turn there, you can write that down, whatever, you, whatever you'd like to do. But, but the, the concern of the Father, we're thinking about the answer to the question, uh, is my child in heaven? And we see that there's a concern from the Father. There's no accident that God referred to himself in the Bible as our heavenly Father. That's not an accident. Our, the heart of the Father is, is, is repeated over and over in Scriptures. Here's the first thing. God desires, or God designed every human life. Any discussion we have about what about the children, it has to begin with the all-important statement that the Bible says life begins at the moment of conception. Amen? That's where life begins. So anytime we think about this, this ideal that God desires or God designs every human life. We see the concern of God the Father because at the moment of conception, 
Life is formed and life begins at that very moment. And, and a person, as they have life at that very moment, has a living soul at that very moment. So we look at the Bible, we can understand that, that God designed every human life. And at the moment of conception, there's not simply a mass of tissue, it's not simply a fetus, but it's a living life. It's a person. And God designed that person. Look at Jeremiah 1.5. We're told, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. So from the very beginning, God says, I knew you. I, I seen you. You are a living soul. So, so these children are living and, and look at the psalm, psalmist in Psalms 139, 13 through 16. You made me all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in other seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. And you saw me before I was ever born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day ever passed. So we understand that God has a design for every human life. God values every human life. That's the second thing. Every baby is, is marvelously fashioned in the image of God. Every, every child, every, every baby that's ever been born, whether it lives outside the womb or inside the womb, has been fashioned by God in His very image of God. And because every human being bears the image of God, then we need to understand that human life is, is at the point of conception is sacred life because it was created in God's image. So it's a sacred life. And God values every human life. God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So God made man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, and he created them. So God sets forth human life above all other life. See, there's, there's, no, other, there's no other creation unique and distinctive and valuable as the life of a human because we are made in God's image. We bear the image of God. So from the very beginning, God values every human life, every baby, every born, every child that's conceived is a living soul, and it has value to God the Father. So when we think of answering this question, where is my baby? God designs every human life. He values Every human life. And lastly, God distinguishes between children and adults. There's many biblical passages that, that do not hold children responsible for the sin of their parents. Now, I want to cover this because sometimes people think this even if they don't say it. You know, I, had a, I have a, give you an example of, of something that happened in my family. Uh, my brother-in-law is a pastor, and he was pastoring a church, and his child was born, and he had a, a, a physical defect, and, a, and the, lady of the a lady in the church came and said, you know why that child has that defect? It's because y'all have sin in your life somewhere, and you need to confess it. That's what she said. I mean, she, meaningly, I mean, she, she come in, and she didn't stop there. That went on for a year or two. 
and, and, and she, she, tried to, she tried to keep up saying, hey, it's something you've done. But there's, there's passages over and over and over that, that God does not hold responsible children for the sins of their parents. Now, you can go, well, the Bible says, you know, the sins of the father for two or three generations. That's a, that's a whole different story. I want to give you a great example that supports that, that statement that God doesn't hold uh, children responsible for the sins of their parents. Y'all remember the children of Israel? And they're moving towards the Holy Land. And what happened? Their parents sinned. And what happened to the children? They got to go to the Holy Land. They got to move into God's promised land. See, God didn't hold that against them. In Deuteronomy one thirty four. Moreover, you little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go into there. And I will give that to them, and they will possess it. Boy, you need to mark that scripture. I want you to hear it again. And he's talking about those that would say children and, and the death of children, and all of those things are results of the sins of the Father. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say are victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall inherit the land, or they shall go into the land. And to them I will give it, and they'll possess it. Now, that was a promised land for the children of Israel. Where is our promised land? It's in heaven. That's, that's, that's where God has a promise for us. And the, the picture of the promised land, the picture of deliverance, that's a picture of God delivering his chosen people under the old covenant, the covenant of the law, under the new covenant, the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a promised land, and God says, you're, you're, you're going to possess that promised land. And if the fathers and the mothers are sins and they've never accepted Christ, that doesn't mean that's going to pour over into the child's, the, 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 the child's future. Any discussion of the fate of a children who dies infants any of those things that we hear we hear about the age of accountability that concept is the age of accountability it's not in the bible that that word the age of accountability but it's been around since the very first of the christian church and and that's simply an, an understanding that that there comes a time that a child will understand the difference between good and evil there's no set time. There's no set age that every person, all of a sudden, I understand. For different people, it's different ages. For, for people, according to their mental capability, the, their age, they become to that understanding. So, parents, you can't look, and, and friends of those that have lost ones, you can't look and say, well, this child was this old. They must have reached that age. The Bible never mentions it mentions that, but I want, you, I want you to look how in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, God differentiates between those who are adults and those who are children. And he's talking about the judgment, and he's talking to Jonah, and we don't have time to go read all that. Jonah's pouting because uh, the, the people of Nineveh turned. But he says this, and he says about this whole town, who could not discern, he's talking about the people of the town, who could not discern between their right hand and their left hand. And what he's talking about, he's talking about those small children who, who couldn't turn their, their, tell their right from the left. He says, didn't they need help from a heavenly father? That's what he's asking Jonah. Didn't, didn't, those, didn't those need help? Maybe he's talking about those who, who are mental disabled and, and they can't tell the, 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 the difference between the right and the left. So, so God distinguishes between those who are adults and those who are children. We're thinking about answering that question. Who 
what, what, what's going to take place with my child if he dies before that age of understanding? We all understand that there is an age, there is a time that a child doesn't have that capability of understanding. So if we look at Scripture and, and we understand what God says, He says there's a heavenly Father there who takes care of those who can't discern between the right and the left. John MacArthur, in his same book, he states, How can we believe that a God who weeps over the lost and who pleads with willful sinners will be rec- that would be reconciled to him if he catapults millions upon millions of innocent babies into hell before they ever reach a state of moral accountability, before they have the ability to make any moral decisions between good and evil. So he asked that question saying, you know, we have a God that pleads with those who are lost. How could anyone think that God would take a child who doesn't have the ability or haven't reached that point of understanding and allow them to hell? So, so those things, how are those children saved? Here's the great thing. The Bible tells us how to be saved. When we're adults, we're saved by grace. Through faith. Isn't that what the Bible says? How is a child that, that doesn't have that ability to understand? They're saved the same way we are. They're saved by the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, we're not be saved. Now, they don't have the ability to apply faith, so faith is applied by God, but they're still saved by grace. And then God provides the faith for that child. Here's the second thing. We see the compassion of Jesus. We, we see the, the character of God in, in those three statements there about how he distinguishes between children and adults, how he has created us in his image, how every life is valuable. Secondly, we see the compassion of Jesus. While on earth, Jesus desired the company of children. Y'all remember that? Over in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16, Jesus says, And they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But his disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw this, he was greatly displeased. And he said to him, or he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means ever enter it. According to verse 14, it was Jesus who took the children up in his arms. And he said, let these little children come to me and do not forbid them from me, for this is the kingdom of God. I believe the infants who have died, who, who have gone to heaven, are in the arms of the Father, and they're safe in the arms of the Father, and they're kept in the arms of the Father, and they're secured, and they're blessed in the arms of the Father because we have a compassionate Father. We can be assured that, that the little ones who've, who've gone into heaven... Jesus has a place for them. In Matthew 18, 14, it sums up the feelings of Jesus. It said, even so, it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones would perish. That's the will of the Father. That's that's the compassion of Jesus. So when we think about what about the children, we see the compassion of Jesus. And, And the last thing, we see the confidence of David. I think as we read this, as we begin to understand this, God gives us a great example. And maybe you remember this story. And David, a man after God's own heart. David, God's chosen king. You remember that everybody's probably familiar with that story about David and Bathsheba. 
And David's there, and he sees Bathsheba, and he has her brought up to his palace. And because of that a whole process, there's a, a relationship there, and uh, David tries to cover up his sin, and in trying to cover up his sin, he has Bathsheba's husband sent out to a place where he know he'll be, knows he'll be killed, and ultimately that, that's the murder of her husband, and after that takes place, he takes Bathsheba in, and she becomes his wife, and through this whole process, there was a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan appeared to David, and Nathan said that you've not hid your sin. And Nathan says, your newborn or your infant son is going to die because of your sin. So when that happened, David became ill, or the baby became ill, and David was sick about it. And, and David began to fast, and he began to pray, and he, he just went on and on at the sight of his, his, his newborn child. And he just pleaded with God that this child would live. Ultimately, the child died. And y'all remember this? After he died, this is what the Bible says according to 2 Samuel twelve twenty. So David arose from the ground. Now, during this time, he, he hadn't washed he hadn't shaved. He hadn't eaten. He, he, he's been mourning and, and pleading before God. Not mourning. He's been pleading before God. So his, his uh, servants come, and I'm skipping a bunch of this, but his servants come. They, they tell him that your child has died. So David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself. He changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and when he had requested it, they set food before him, and he ate. And David's behavior literally stunned his servants, who asked him why he was behaving this way. You know, David replied, and, and in his reply, I use this at a lot of funerals because it's a, it's a great reminder for us. David's reply is this in verse 23, Now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is an infant child that was just born. And David said, you know what? Why should I mourn and why should I fast? And, and why should I continue in that process? I, I can't go to him and, and he can't come to me, but there's going to be a day that, that I will go and I will be with him. And some people say, well, he's, he's referring to the, just joining him in the grave that doesn't even make sense, does it? Why would a father find comfort in the fact that I'm going to die someday or I'm going to be in the grave someday? What David was saying is, hey, I'm literally going to be with my child someday in heaven. That's what David was saying. Now, if you say, well, Jake, you're stretching that a little bit, not true because there's a big difference between what David did with his older son, Absalom, who died. When his newborn infant that child who hadn't come to the point of being able to understand and know the difference between right and wrong, who wasn't able to come to a, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, he said, I, I know one day I'm going to be with him in heaven. When Absalom died, his older son, he was killed and the word came. And the Bible says that David mourned with a mourning that was inconsolable. He, he, was, he was inconsolable. At his son's death. And I believe the reason, and I believe the Bible teaches the reason, is he knew his older son was evil. 
He had done evil in the sight of the Lord. He had rejected God. He had rejected his only hope for salvation. And, da- and David knew that. And he knew that he was mourning the loss of his child, that he had never be with his child again. So, so see the difference there that we have in Scripture? As we see David finding hope and encouragement in that a, a child had been born and that he would be in heaven and one day they'd be reunited and a child who had, who had lived a life of evil, who had lived a life of following Satan had died, and David understood, I'll never be in his presence again. And he mourned because of that. J. Vernon McGee, some of you may have heard of him. He says this, I believe with all my heart that God will raise the little children, these little ones, such as... Now, let me start over. I believe with all my heart that God will raise the little ones such that the mother's arms who have ached for them will have an opportunity to hold them. The father's hand, which never held a little hand, will be given that privilege. And I believe that the little ones will grow up in heaven in the care of earthly parents. Now that's J. Vernon McGee. He, he, he believes that's, that's how God appoints and that's how God takes care of those little infants. I want you to hear this. Randy Alcorn, who we've referred to a lot, says if children do go to heaven when they die, why doesn't God tell us directly? It may be because he anticipates the twisted logic and rationalization that might foster within us. It might take from us a sense of urgency to see our children come to faith in Christ. It might cause us to be less concerned about the sacred God-given task of extending physical and financial help to the underprivileged and getting the gospel to children around the world. I want to ask you to bow with me this morning. If you've ever grieved the loss of a child, if so, I believe there's reason to take heart. Your child is in heaven today. Awaiting your arrival. I believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that. I told you before, Denise and I have a child. Awaiting our arrival. There's others here this morning that, that you'd say, I've got a child, and he's awaiting my arrival. Here's the good news. Eternity. We have eternity to spend with that child. In my family, my, my other three children, I have eternity to spend with them. So today the question's not, what about the children? The question is, what about you? Have you made preparations to spend eternity? Not just with that child, not just with family members, with friends, but eternity with our Heavenly Father.
because he's made a place. And that child is held safe and secure within the arms of the Father. And as he's preparing a place for us, he's prepared a place for them that where he is and where they are, we may be also. This morning, I want to ask and I want you to consider that most important question. Have you made preparations? Have you reached that point today that you, you know the difference between good and evil? You know that you've sinned and you've fallen short of God's plan and, and you need a Savior and you need someone who can, can open those doors. The Bible teaches us this. God has opened the doors. He's paid the price. He gave his all that we might have life. And we might have life simply by the asking. Father, this morning I pray that as we consider your word and consider your truths, Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves through the lens of your eyes and through the wooing of your spirit. And Father, we would find today and we would wait today to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If there's any here this morning who's never made that decision, who can't say they know for sure where they'll spend eternity, I pray today, Lord, would be the day of salvation. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.